and welcome to our latest episode of RISE Radio. I'm your host, Eileen McDonald, the Editorial Director at RISE. My guest today is Dr. Abdullah Albayati. Dr. Albayati is a family physician in the UK and an advocate for digitalization in healthcare. He's the CEO and co-founder of Medical Chain, a company that uses blockchain technology to store health records securely, and My Clinic, a telemedicine platform that allows patients to connect with their doctors remotely for free certainly a godsend in the past year. Welcome and thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me on in. Um, you know, you have sort of an interesting background where you're still a clinician, but you're also this entrepreneur. Can you share what the past 15 months have been like for you as a clinician practicing medicine in the UK during COVID? Yeah, I mean, it's been, um, I, I imagine, pretty much anywhere else, any other clinician around the world at the moment. Um, it's been very hectic. It's been very demanding. Um, it's been very uh, all time consuming. Um, and you have to obviously manage your patients, manage yourself. And then you've got your friends and loved ones around you who are wanting reassurance that everything in the pandemic is going as best as, as, as possible and wanting to you know, fact checks everything with you every every 10 minutes. So it's been, a, it's been a difficult time as a clinician, as I imagine it has been for all of my colleagues, but I'd like to think that we've got through the worst of it or the worst of it so far. I certainly hope so. And, you know, we noticed certainly a huge burst in the activity of telemedicine in the US during COVID. And I know that because of um, your experience, um, you saw a need to sort of, um, move forward with your platform can you talk a little bit about that yeah so um so we have a health tech company called medical chain which has been around for about four years now and our main purpose and drive is to empower patients to have access to their own medical records um you know i'm a real believer that the way we deliver healthcare is going to be disrupted it's no longer going to depend on people turning up to clinics and waiting for the records which are held at that clinic to be used as the only source of information instead it's the patient turning up with their mobile device saying this is who i am these are the medications i'm on and every clinician they meet on that journey adds to those records whilst we've been on that journey we wanted to develop a telemedicine module or or, or tool towards that platform and whilst we were building that that's when covid came up around and we realized that we're very blessed in the uk as you are in the us there's quite a few telemedicine options out there um, but then we realized that in third world countries, South American countries, African nations, they don't have telemedicine at all. And when they are closing down the hospitals and closing down the clinics because of COVID and the fear of catching this virus from each other, the patients really have no other way of communicating with their clinicians. So within about three weeks, we took our module, turned it into a standalone uh, solution, which we called myclinic.com. And we launched this in March last year, and it's been used in over 78 countries around the world. Um, it's been used by dentists, social workers, physiotherapists, dietitians. So the health professionals that have been overlooked because everyone, when they think of health, they only think of doctors. Um, and we realized that, okay, this is actually a, a really good system. It's a good solution. People like it. Maybe we can try to commercialize that. And that's where we are at the moment. It's amazing. How have the patients responded to it? Have yeah, they so, been on board? Yes, yeah, so the, the patients, I think, have personally not surprised me. Um, but I think for a lot of my colleagues who um, 
you know, had some quite sweeping opinions, you know, patients don't want this, patients don't understand the technology, and there will be older people that don't know how to connect. I think it's dispelled a lot of myths. Um, and that's been demonstrated. You know, I always use the example of grandchildren with grandparents. If you can show the grandparents, you will get videos and photos of your grandchildren all day long. If you figure out how to use WhatsApp, they will be pros of WhatsApp by the end of the day because there's a need for it. And it's the same thing with healthcare. If you tell them there is no way to speak to your doctor other than for a video call at the moment, they will figure it out. And of course, there's some that you need to hold their hand through it. And there's some that it's an impossibility and we'll have to come to another arrangement there. But for the vast majority, I think it's been a welcome change. And now we're in the process where we're coming out the other end of COVID. There is talk, especially in the NHS in the UK, about going back to face-to-face appointments. And you can see this is more of a political agenda than an actual voicing of concern by patients. I think patients have embraced the idea of this practical, uh, time-efficient way of seeking information, which we can escalate it to a face-to-face consultation if we have to, but if it's a simple medication request, a simple look at this rash, a simple let's just check up on you and how we're doing, a lot of this can be done remotely. It's it's so convenient for the patients. You know, just the taking off time from work, if they have to go to work, and then the drive and the wait, um, it's really been something that patients here have responded to as well. What about though the clinicians? What about physicians? Are they also on board on continuing it? I, I think for transparency, I'd say that they're a split bunch. Um, and the reason behind that is because the challenge with delivering a telemedicine service is not the technology itself. You know, the technology for all the um, solutions I've seen out there, including r1myclinic.com, the challenge is the logistics behind it. So if you don't bring the receptionist on board, if you don't bring the gatekeepers on board, if they're not familiar with the system or how to use it or how to signpost patients through it, the system will fall apart. And I think what we've tried to do is, as individuals or in our company is try to make it as user-friendly as possible. So the idea that there's a virtual waiting room, all the patients get directed to one virtual waiting room and the clinician pulls them out of this pool of, of patients as you would in a normal waiting room. Some come early, some are on time, some are late. And the clinician pulls them from their chair, sits them in the room and goes through them one by one. So we're doing this all kind of virtually. There's been other systems out there where the clinician doubles up as the admin staff and has to send out the invite and wait for the patient to join. And that then becomes time inefficient for the clinician. So I think the ones which have had a bad experience, I would say it's because they didn't go through the logistical changes that needed to occur. Um, And I think, you know, in time, hopefully they will also realize that this is what patients want and we need to find better ways of delivering this care. Um, Why have have you personally had any challenges um, with the telemedicine at all and, and just in your experiences with your patients? Uh, yes, they're, 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 I've had a few challenges. I mean, one of the challenges, for example, is you would think asking a patient to upload a picture of a rash would be easy enough, but they will send you a picture which is so zoomed in, so blurry, uh, it's very pixelated, you can't make out anything. And in the end, you ask the patients to just come into the clinic so you can see it face to face. Again, this is part of the kind of education and the training and explaining to the patient, I want three images. I want one which is far away, one which is actually of the lesion itself, and then one which is quite zoomed in on on the details of what's going on. So I think it's a learning process. I think even from a technological side, you'll realize that 
there are bugs in the system. One works better on iPhones. One works better on Android devices. One's audio goes to loudspeaker. One goes to the small microphone. So the idea is that this is a kind of uh, learning process or growing pains. But I certainly think you know we should stick with it because we're noticing the benefits already. In the U.S., especially in the Medicare Advantage industry, um, there's a push for the government, for CMS, to allow audio-only visits for risk adjustment purposes. And I know that that might not be the same case in the U.K., but there are a lot of patients in the U.S. who don't have access to the Internet. And so I wondered what your thoughts are on telephonic visits. I mean, have you had much experience with it? And obviously with the rash, you're not going to be able to see that over just a telephone call. But I just wondered what your thoughts are on as far as the efficiency, the effectiveness of the audio only calls. I would say in the UK and the NHS, that is the vast majority of how consultations are occurring. So I I would say number one is telephone calls is probably making up over 80 percent of our appointments. And and then you'll have about probably 10 or 15 percent which are face to face. And then the remaining ones are the telemedicine ones again, not being picked up because the clinicians would prefer a face-to-face than the um, telemedicine option there. But I think telephone consultations are very powerful things. And it's a case of knowing what are the right questions to ask the patient. Um, again, this will vary really from, from specialty to specialty and who you're managing and who you're, who you're discussing it with. But there's a lot of information you can gather over the phone. And certainly as a, as a family physician or as a general practitioner, there's very few things which are urgent need to be resolved today. So somebody can describe a certain pain to you. You can request an X-ray. You can try a painkiller. You can m- follow them up in two or three weeks, see if what you tried worked. If it didn't, fine. We, we, we then need to see you. We've given that a go. But there's a great way to triage and filter through a lot of the patients over the phone uh, and see how they get on with your first primary um, advice and treatment plans and then see how that panned out and then take it forward from there. We talked a little bit earlier and you talked about sort of that, that with COVID, um, it obviously it accelerated the need for telemedicine. But and as the vaccines rollout continue and the world's beginning to open up and there's sort of a talk about the face-to-face appointments again. What do you think the future is going to hold for telemedicine? I I think this is the time where it needs to carve a, a place out for itself. So I think from the clinician's perspective, there's a lot of fatigue, there's a lot of burnout and the volume and demand on healthcare services today is too great to go back to -to face-to-face. We just wouldn't manage to get through enough people. It's inefficient as well to park everybody in your waiting room where you realize half of them could have been dealt with over the phone or telemedicine. So I think we will try our best to probably continue as we are now, where we have the power, if you will, back with the clinician who will handpick who they want to see face-to-face rather than it is the patient's right to demand a face-to-face for everything, which is what it what it was in the before so any patient could call the receptionist and the receptionist had to book the patient into the clinic whether it was worthy or not so you had lots of patients especially in the uk if it's a free healthcare system you'd have patients that just wanted to talk to you about something they'd done this morning like stub their toe 
and mm. it's a total in a, inappropriate appointment. It's a waste of time. They could have just managed themselves at the local pharmacy, taken painkillers, given it a bit of time. So the telephone appointment there could have wrapped it up in about a minute, two minutes tops and said, look, this is not something I need to see. See how you get on. If it's not better within two weeks, fine. Then, then we'll rediscuss this. So I think it's a case of this is an opportunity for doctors and other healthcare professionals to push back and say, look, there's a better way of doing this than, than leaving it at the patient's whim to book in whenever they want to. Right. And, and it is true. We have such a different kind of healthcare system here. But do you have any advice for my audience today on, you know, what, as far as the, the country should consider, whether it be a provider, a clinician, or even a lot of our audience are Medicare Advantage plans who are dealing with senior citizens. Um, any thoughts on as far as uh, guidance going forward? I, th I think it's all about narrative and it's all about how you are framing the service. So if you demonstrate to the patients, this is not an inferior service, you have not been shortchanged, you have got the same level of care you would have, even if you'd come face to face, then the patients will be on board with it because they will see that it was in a much better use of their own personal time. Their problems actually got resolved. You know, they, they, they stopped being in pain or they stopped having this rash or they stopped having this problem. So I think the more that clinicians can uh, champion this cause, make it user friendly, demonstrate good outcomes uh, for the patients, then you're going to have the patients on board and the clinicians will be on board as well. And I think that's what we've proven, you know, COVID has forced this upon us, this kind of remote consultation. And, you know, to be honest with you, Eileen, not everybody's dropped down dead because the doctors didn't see them face to face. You know, we've been managing to give antibiotics, we've been managing to do painkillers, we've been managing to do the necessary investigations. Yes, there have been some casualties, such as the patients who would have seen a doctor to discuss a potential cancer who sat on it because the, a doctor wasn't available. And unfortunately, that cancer has developed. They're the ones that need picking out of the crowd. Um, but all in all, I think as a, as a global community, we've demonstrated that a lot of these services can be delivered re remotely and to a very high standard as well. It is amazing the last year and a half what we've experienced any final thoughts before I let you go back to your clinical work? <laughs> I, I think, you know, the only, only thing I would say to your listeners is if you do not have access to a telemedicine solution as a patient, you should challenge your clinic or your clinician and say, why not? There are many options out there. You know, ours is, is completely for free called myclinic.com as well as others out there. It's a much more convenient way of delivering healthcare. And if you're a clinician and you're unsure about this. You know, I've written a book on this, an ebook, um, written, Can You Hear Me Now, which is a, a mocking really our Zoom calls when Can You Hear Me, Can You Hear Me, which I said <laughs> at the beginning of this as well. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a short book. It takes about an hour to read, and it's about how to safely deploy and deliver a telemedicine service completely from scratch. So you could be a podiatrist. You've never done it before. If you read this book within an hour, you should be up to speed with everybody else. Sounds great. Thank you so much for your time today. Much appreciated. Thank you for inviting me.